Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Have you ever had your dream opportunity pulled out from underneath you? Do you try to do everything yourself or do you train others how to help? And if you're moving into the next phase of your professional life, how can you leverage your existing skills to your advantage? Professional racing driver and startup founder David Peril is back. His last interview is one of my favorites. It's such a crazy story full of ups and downs and I highly recommend that you check that one out. Well, since that last talk, things for him have gotten even wilder. Today, we're going to hear how his dream to race at Le Mans was crushed not once, but twice. The emotions he felt when that dream became a reality and how COVID challenged him to unexpectedly build a business that ended up exploding in growth. But beyond that, we're going to drill into his mindset as a startup founder and competitor. We're going to learn how he's had to mature and tame some of his demons in order to grow instead of become a liability to himself. Well, it's good to see you again. I've been following you, you know, obviously since we spoke, uh, last time we spoke, November 2019, I think that was, or was in October. So yeah, everything hit that. My wife and I were listening to the interview this morning on the way to uh, work out and she'd never heard it. She was like, oh my God, I can't leave the car. I have to hear the rest of this story. <laughs> <Amazing. laughs> That's like, awesome. it's still going. Like even now, <laughs> so at, the, at that time, uh, COVID had not hit and yeah. You know, it was all about this, whatever it takes to stay in the car, whatever it takes to, I mean, there were so many financial crazy things that had to happen for you to become a professional driver. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this, and you haven't heard that interview, go back and listen to that conversation with David from then. Um, but I mean, it was just such a story of perseverance and this fine line between being bold and being reckless, there was definitely some question marks around some, <laughs> mostly some reckless people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and the dream back then was okay, uh, you know, to race at Le Mans. And so, yes. yeah, yeah, let's, let's talk a bit about where you were as a professional driver going into 2020, if you can remember. Yes, yes, uh, I can. I can remember quite a bit. Um, so 2019 was sort of a breakthrough year where I started to do a, a lot of racing, was getting paid for my race. I was making a living from my racing in 2019. And uh, as per our last previous uh, part together, um, for those who don't know, it took basically my whole life and all of my sac like sacrificed everything to get to that level. I mean, 15 plus years of, of trying to become pro, I think. So anyway, 2019 had a fantastic year. I think I did over 20 races. We paid per day at the racetrack. So when you're doing 20 weekends, you know, you're making it a living. You're making a decent living from being a driver. Which is the opposite because it was you going into massive debt and like selling yes. everything you own and not yes. being able to eat just to yes. be able to race. So that was the that was the first part of the story. So it's this other <laughs> yes, side of yes. it, which is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, there were days where I was deciding, like, if I skip breakfast, then I can, if I, if I eat as late as possible, then I only have to have one meal, and then I'll save some money, and I can pay for my <laughs> flights, and and so on. So, it was a huge uh, relief to get momentum, get validation, and, and be 
from the teams that they're willing to pay me for my skills. Um, so for 2020, I had even more races planned and, you know, was really excited to start my full career as a professional racing driver. And then obviously COVID hit. And um, that was around March. And I just distinctly remember we were at a, an official test in France and um, the American teams had to leave before the test started because they were closing the borders for COVID. Um, and everybody who was there, they knew that they pr it felt there was a vibe. We, we probably shouldn't be here right now. So halfway through the second day, we got news that the French borders were closing and we were in France. So we had to get out of there and drive as quickly as we could. I think, I can't remember which country we ended up driving to, to fly home. And I flew to Germany. Um, and when I arrived in Germany, where my fiance is based or was based, she's now living with me in London. Um, that was when the news came that, you know, everything was closing, everything was ending. So my career as a professional racing driver had ended before it even started, if you mm. will. And I still hadn't gotten to Lamar. So that was always my ultimate dream. I needed to become professional so I could get a seat at Lamar. And boom, everything just stopped right there and then. And how, what was the impact of that? Like, I'm finally here and here is yet another. Again, if you, you've got to listen to the other another interviews, little, like yeah. here is another brick wall. How right. am I going to get through that? Was it like, is this it? Is this over? Or were you thinking, oh, we just need a couple of months or... Well, I mean, no one knew what was going to happen, right? I mean, no one knew what the future held because this was unprecedented times, like truly unprecedented. And I just, you know, because I'd had setbacks or challenges in my time to be, to trying to achieve my dreams, I, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, so, so be it. We have to wait this one out. I wasn't like my other racing driver uh, colleagues, if you will, who only knew racing. I had a seven year gap where I wasn't racing. I was saving money to come back to racing, to try again, to use that, sa those savings to try become pro. Well, the asterisk that you also, you were starting, you started a company and ran this company with your brother. Yes. And so there's a, there's a skill set here that was developed during that period. Yeah. And the last interview, when I listened to it, you're like, I wish I'd just gone to yeah. Europe and then, right. But now you, you have this skill set of knowing yes. how to, to, to build a company. Um, right. And you're heading into 2020 with this skill set in your back pocket. Right. And in the back of my mind for years, I had always wanted to start another tech company and ideally something in the simulator racing space, virtual racing. A, a series of events happened during that, that lockdown in March um, within days of me returning from the test that quite literally changed the entire trajectory of my life, um, which is really interesting. So I got back from the test, having just escaped borders shutting down in my tail, you know, <laughs> and, uh, very Jason born of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in Germany, um, with my fiance and I saw on YouTube. Okay. So let me just preface. There was meant to be a formula one race that, that weekend as well, um, in Australia and it got canceled. So one of the, the, the virtual racing brands in the esports world, created a series or an event on YouTube using the Formula One PlayStation game or PC version, I think. They called it Not the Australian Grand Prix. And they invited some popular streamers and some popular uh, celebrities and also a Formula One driver to take part in this event. And this stream, I think, had at one point 150,000 concurrent viewers, which in the world of virtual racing, the world of sim racing is just unheard of. And I saw this on YouTube and I was like, holy, sorry for swearing, holy shit. Now is the time to build the company I want to build right now. And I need to get back to my sim rig in London to start streaming again to, and to start building this, this product, which I had in my mind, which I'll unpack in a second. Now I had to look at my fiance and she's like, I don't want to leave Germany, but you know, there's a pandemic going on and I don't want to leave my family. Um, it's dangerous times. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to get this thing. Cause at that point, you know, the perception was literally everyone was dying. That was, that was the perception. Mm -hmm. She's like, you, I can't come with. So I said, I got to go. Mm. And I just took whatever I had 
from, you know, the bags that I had from the test, I was never meant to be in Germany to begin with. Kissed my fiance and said, I'll see you on the other side and left to London to where my sim rig was and basically all the things that I needed to start a business. Okay. That's um, a, that's a non-starter for a lot of folks out there listening, which yeah. is like, if I do this, it'll end my relationship. Was yeah. that a concern for you? Or it was like, this will just be a tough mm. patch we'll go through. It, she said, well, you better make this a success. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little um, motivation. Yeah. On the other side of that, I didn't see her. I didn't see anybody, not a single person for three months, three months. I was isolated in my home, in my apartment in London. She couldn't make it over because of all the, um, lockdown, quarantine, no quarantine. She couldn't make it to, to England. So for three months I was left on my, to my own devices to start a business. Yeah. This is, I was 35, you know, usually at 35, you're not left in isolation like that. Um, and the first, I would say out of the, the 12 weeks, I think 11 of those weeks, I was totally fine. I didn't even recognize that I was alone because I was so buried in trying to build this new thing. Okay. So I want to just underline something here. So, the, so there's this recognition of an opportunity. And I think yeah. a lot of times we might, we might get that like, oh, I've got a good idea. And then we let it, it, it can just go. And so there's, there's an aspect of this, like now, now is the time. Wow. This is yes. the wave. I'm going to catch the wave. I'm going to get on top of this. And was there any resistance? Was there any part of like, no, nah, I don't really feel like it. I'm just going to wait. There, there are probably going to be some races coming back up. This is going to be a big deal. Or we're, I, I um, want to know, there's this, at, there's this thing you do where you got both feet in. And I don't know if yeah. you have any other gear other than both Further feet in. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I realized that um, I, I couldn't make a sustainable living of being a professional racing driver because we are paid, again, we, we're paid for the days we are at a racetrack this pandemic was going to go on for who knows how long, so many unknowns. And I was like, well, that means I'm not going to make money for the whole year. Mm. If, if I'm just going to rely on that. And I said, what if this happens again? What if I get injured? What if, what if something else happens that affects my ability to make, to live Okay. as, as much as I love to death, uh, motorsports and racing and being a professional driver, it wasn't a realistic career for me in the long term. So I always had the intention of, building a tech company when I ended my racing in like five, 10 years, but I had to bring that forward. Okay. I was like, you're going to have to do both at the same time. And looking at the hype that was around this virtual race on YouTube, it looks like suddenly out of nowhere, our industry is getting recognition that it never got before. I got to get on that plane. I felt a sense of panic, hmm. um, not a panic for a pandemic or uh, leaving my fiance behind. I was like, if I don't get on this plane right now, get back to my sim rig and also my, my office, I'm going to miss the boat. Okay. So I was, I, 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 I in my mind, there was no other choice really. Mm. Same like how I felt with racing. Mm -hmm. Just on the other Gotta side. Go. Okay. Yeah. And so you, you recognize the opportunity. It's both feet in. Now's the time. Here comes this wave. Everybody's mm. in lockdown. Mm. And what ended up happening is the virtual racing, sim racing world Exploded, exploded because everybody's stuck at home and now they're going to be in front of their, their rigs and, and, you know, build a rig and start racing, which happened to, I mean, all around the world. It wasn't just the, the players. It was the fact that um, the real motorsport world, which never used to acknowledge sim racing, now had nothing to do. So the, the real life journalists, the real life race directors, the real life event organizers, the real life track owners, manufacturers, all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can do everything that we do in real life. We can do it in the virtual world. So now they started to create their own streams. They started to report on the news of the stim racing world. So it was just this like perfect storm for our industry, which brought it, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it definitely brought it closer to the limelight. All of the Formula One drivers ended up doing uh, at least some kind of sim race, even popular motorbike ride races and so on. Um, and I somehow managed to slot myself into the middle of that. And it just absolutely exploded. Um, by the second month, I had already made more than I had done in my, the whole year prior as a professional driver. Wow. By the third month, um, we were hiring people. Um, and it just, it didn't stop. It just kept ramping up. Um, and then I started to use the connections I had in the industry to um, gain exposure for our brand called, was called coach is called coach Dave Academy. 
um, and we became this established brand. I love I love this this ability that you have, and I want to kind of just zoom out because a lot of people that listen to this are looking at the next phase of their life, or that they maybe they've had a, a curveball thrown at them, and they're not really quite sure how to respond. A lot of times, we think we have to do a one eighty, like we have mm-hmm. to do something completely different. And um, somehow we're not able to see how to leverage our existing skill set, our existing yeah. connections, our existing resources. And you did that here. You did that like, okay, I can do this. I'm, I already have a background in the virtual world. I already have all these connections out here in the actual world. Yeah. How can I plug these things in? And I love that you were yeah. able to leverage that from the outside because I was one of your customers. I was yes. buying setups. It looked seamless. It just looked like you flowed right into it. I have no idea what the process was actually like for you, but I was just like, wow, go Dave, go. I mean, just, <laughs> Thank you. It, it was just like, wow. It was just like, you were the it, one guy who could really do that and really put all these pieces together. Um, yeah, I, I knew, I had known for a long time that I could mix my, my three sort of core competencies together. I'm a good racing driver. I had a tech company b- before, which I had built with my brother. So I had development skills. Um, and I definitely understood e-commerce, online marketing, building products, consumer web products was my skill set in my 20s. And I had this huge passion um, and understanding of the sim racing industry. You were also willing to put your face out there. And I, I see this as where some other some folks have a hard time with that, that you were willing to be yeah. the face of the company. Not to be like, hey, look at how great I am, but willing to jump into races, willing to interact with people. You know, there's a bit of a pedestal rock star kind of element to being uh, in in any kind of world where we they tend to want to keep a fence between folks. And you were willing to relate and race yeah. with folks and, and interact with people yeah. in that way. And I thought that that was refreshing too, because you typically don't get to have access to to professionals in any kind of sport. I'll be honest though, putting yourself out there, I was very scared nervous of being teased by the real racing drivers for what I was doing, especially when I launched the, the Coach Dave Academy e-commerce site. What was the criticism you were worried about though? What, what's, what is that? Legitimacy, you know. You're not a real driver if you play the game or yeah. what is it? Like, what do you know? What have you won? Which mm. I've won some decent things, but you know, I'm not a Formula One world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of it, it actually turned out to be unfounded because a lot of the the people in the real racing world actually contacted me and wanted to do stuff with me, or they said that it was cool. And I, you know, I had friends in the real racing world who were now jobless effectively. So when I had the means from coach Dave Academy to do something, I, I employed them to help with car setups, to help with driver coaching in the virtual world and, and so on. Um, so I was also trying, I was trying my best to help those people around me and no one laughed at me. Um, I, it was just an insecurity that I had because maybe I felt like I hadn't proven myself, but in the end it was, it was not necessary to think that way. That's refreshing to hear. It's one of the, it's one of the things that I bump up against in my own life, but also when I'm coaching other people, usually the first thing is I can't make the change because X and it's usually money. And then the second one is, well, it'll disrupt my family. I can't do that. And if we tease those out, we can see that those two things will be fine. And the third one is, well, what will they think of me? They being, there's this imaginary they, or there's this this gallery that's watching every move you make and says, you know what, now you've really screwed (laughs) up. And- And, and I love that that even happens for you. A lot of times we uh, think that, time. oh, if you've, met, if you've reached this level, you're in the club. No, you're still in a place where you could be cast out uh, yes. and, and judged for that. So it's, it's refreshing to hear that you had that insecurity, but you, but you, you recognize it was unfounded. It, it was unfounded. And at the end of the day, I, whenever you do have these insecurities, you got to ask yourself truly, who is it that you're scared will judge you? And then ask yourself, what is that person? What have they done in their lives? If it's a character or if it's a real person Um, and try find their insecurities and recognize that they're human as well, you know, Um, and that will make you feel better. I I have real racing drivers who are not good at business and they're insecure about business. So I'm like, okay, I, I may be putting myself out there in the racing world, but, and feeling insecure about it, but they would feel the same if they're doing it in the business world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you can flip that in, in multiple ways. I was also lucky I, in the professional racing world, like we don't just race for money. We also coach for money. 
And a lot of those, the people we coach are literal billionaires, you know, but what you find with them is they arrive confident until they put their race suit on and then you're the boss. And then they, you know, they, they listen to your every word and they lose a sense of their overpowering confidence. And then it helped me recognize that no matter how successful people are, we all have our areas of incompetence, if you will. And yeah. it, it's okay. It's fine. Um, but I was confident tripping in what I was doing. I, I knew what I was doing hadn't been done before. And I knew that I had enough expertise in, in the three key pillars to, to make it, it work. Um, I was just scared of being teased, but I knew that the people who were going to tease me were wrong. Um, and I, I didn't have to be scared, so it's okay. Okay. And you were also ramping up. I was watching you bring other people in. It wasn't a solo yeah. endeavor. You, you know, I, I'm curious about, did you have to learn anything about managing other people yes, in yes, that regard? Yes, Cause that, that's usually really challenging to, to manage other people. What was that like? Huge. Um, it was a failing when in my twenties, my brother and I tried to do everything ourselves, everything. So we would code, design, market, do client management, everything. We, and it, we're eventually doing too much. So we did nothing well. And eventually the, you know, the business was not nearly as successful as it could have been. So this time around, I knew that when COVID ended, I was going to have to go back to racetracks. So this business had to run without me being there on a day to day. Um, so I very early on started to bring people in. Now we had a point where between full-time staff and freelancers, we're around 60 people, 60, Holy 70 cow. people. Crazy. And I only hire people, bring people in who know, who come from the sim racing world. So I was, I was able to build not just a customer base, but also a community, uh, primarily through discord of 25,000 people. Mm -hmm. who, and those, for those who don't, Discord is an online community platform yeah. software. Um, right. If you're yeah. familiar with Slack or Teams or, or Microsoft Teams or yeah, something like that, it's, it's the gaming version of that. Or it started as the gaming version of Slack and now it's actually branched out. But, um, and I, I hire people from within there. So they are mostly young and dynamic, uh, but knowledgeable ab about the industry. So I don't have to sort of spoon feed them. And you know, it was a skill that I was very bad at in my twenties. And I was like, it's unacceptable for me to be bad at it now. So just be better, communicate better. Um, don't try and micromanage every single step, which I can still be guilty of, especially on the product side. So I have three sort of key managers, let them bring other people in. Mm. So I don't have to vet every person myself. I I'm compressing all of that to, to make it sound. It was very difficult for me. That was the main challenge. But now we're at a point where I, I rely on other people to do the work. And I finally learned, like, truly understood the value of bringing people in who are better than you. I didn't understand that in my 20s. Was it about letting, what, what was the obstacle? Letting go of control? You know, sometimes it's just like, you know, it's just easier for me to do it. Just get out of my way. Yeah, it was easier for me to do it. So now instead of me doing the thing, I explain to them what I want. If they don't do it right, I, I write out what I need until eventually they start to get it themselves. I'm yeah, that's leadership. That's leadership. Yeah. You know, what do I want? Right. And, and let's yeah. get it right. Um, yeah. All right. So you're, you're in this place, building, a, building another startup. Mm. Where's racing in all of this? I mean, is it done in the back of your mind? You're just like, I'm done. I'm not racing anymore or. No, no. I, 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 I started to hear about, uh, during that three month period, about halfway through the second month, I started to hear, okay, the organizations are trying to re reject the calendars. Um, my, my season went from, I think 20 races down to seven or something or eight, but it was, I was okay with that. Um, and we we're just going to start the season very late and it was going to be compressed. So knowing all of that was also why I was bringing people in to run the business while I wasn't there. And I was preparing and I still had this stream of Lamar. So I was now trying to build a tech startup and trying to still pursue my dreams as a racing driver. Um, and that was nerve wracking, if I'm honest, because I didn't know how to balance that, but I was just going to go for it. You know, was it time or energy or what, what was the balance? Mental strength. So the, the, to run a business and to be a racing driver require opposites 
to be a racing driver or an athlete, you have to train every day um, and, you know, put a lot of effort into training. Um, whereas to run a successful startup, especially the startup phase, um, at least my belief is that's, you know, seat time at the desk as, and the more hours you put in during the early phase, the more you can get done, the more you can accomplish, the more me momentum you can build. Um, they don't complement each other. So uh, that's a very difficult balance. Also in the racing world, things happen very quickly. So you have almost like it's, you don't necessarily plan long-term in motorsport. You take a lot of gambles along the way and you take whatever comes your way um, to try and get to the next level. And in the business world, you have to let things play out. You have to have a much longer term view of things. So that method of thinking is also the opposite. Um, and the diffi most difficult thing for me when I am going racing and coming back is switching on the racing brain and then somehow switching off the racing brain when I get back to my desk on the Monday. So when I leave for the track on the Wednesday at the airport, I've developed methods where I can unwind from business and wind up racing. And then when I get back on the plane on a Monday morning or Sunday night, I can wind off racing and wind back on business, which is weird, but it, you have to do it. Well, there were times where I would be on the discord and I would see you messaging and I was like, he's got a stint in a few hours. Like <laughs> <laughs> there was times. And I'm like, I know he's getting ready to get in the car. And yes. <laughs> there was one time, um, where the webs, I, my helmet was on, my suit was on my, the headphones were in the gloves were on. And for some reason, and you shouldn't do this, but I checked my phone because it was oh. like, I was 10 minutes ahead of schedule for when the car was coming. It was in the middle of a race car was coming into the pits within 10 minutes. So they always say, okay, pit windows opening in 10 minutes, just get ready. So I get ready so that no matter what happens in 10 minutes time, I'm at the line ready to get in the car. So I was like, okay, well I'm ready. So let me just check my phone. Websites down. Coach Davis down. Mm. I was like, shit, what do I do? Uh, I got to restart those servers, man. <laughs> so with my suit on and everything, I, I run to where the drivers change. I grab my laptop, run back into like the, the pit box, open the laptop, start, I take off the gloves, start typing away and get the <laughs> server reset, servers reset, put gloves back on, run down to the box into pit lane, jump in the Congo racing. <laughs> no joking. <laughs> that was crazy. No joking. Oh, so, did, did it impact your performance behind the wheel? No, no. Cause when you get in the car, your adrenaline kicks in and like you're focused and, uh, but it was it wasn't it was pretty hilarious. I was wondering if any other founders had done been in similar situations. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's gentlemen drivers out there that are you know putting yes. out fires and then jumping in a car yes. and yeah, but not pros. Yeah, for sure. yeah it's different. Okay, yeah. all right. So you're back. You're you're doing some races. The season's starting back up again. How are yeah. we tracking towards Le Mans now? So to get to Le Mans, you have sort of. Uh, I'd say three, three ways of getting there. The first one is, is just money. Okay. Well, first of all, baseline, you need some, you need skill and experience. You can't just go there as a complete rookie, but if you have enough experience and you have enough money, 300 to $400,000 for that particular race for your seat, because you race. share the car with mm -hmm. one race, you can just pay your way in. I didn't, I never had $400,000. I mean, hell no. Uh, so the other way is to, develop a reputation in the paddock um, where a team says, Hey, do you want to share? Do you want to race for us? Cause we can trust you to be in the car and we have a customer who's willing to pay for your seat in the car. Um, so that's the one way. And the, the third way is you compete in one of three championships, European Le Mans series, Asia Le Mans series, or the Michelin Le Mans cup. So these are all their own standalone championships and the winners from each of those championships get invited to race at Le Mans. And if usually, if you're in that car that won that championship, the team usually takes you anyway. Okay, this is where it gets interesting. Okay, so I had now been entered, the, the team that the, the series that I was racing in 2020 uh, was the European Le Mans series and the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And in both of those series, the top two teams from each championship would get an invite to Le Mans. So to me, this was like the prime opportunity for me, for me to get to Le Mans. And we, we got to it. Um, 
in the first race, we finished second, the second race, we finished second, the third race, we won. Um, and we're now fighting for the championship of European Lamar. And this to me was, okay, I, if I can pull this off, I'll get to Lamar. Come the end of the season, um, we'd finished tied first in the European Lamar series and a pretty crazy statistic. We tied on points with our competitors. We tied on the amount of wins that we each got, the amount of seconds we each got, the amount of thirds we each got, and the amount of fifth places, as well as the amount of pole positions. So all of, all of these countbacks, because usually it's like whoever has the most points in the championship is the winner. Tied, tied, tied. There's six countback rules. We were on number six now. And it was whoever, between the two of you, who won first, which was the first one to take a win in the season. And they'd won the first race. It's almost like who, ate, were... who ate most at the banquet on the second <laughs> night or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so they had won the, the championship, even though in my mind, I'll always, okay, yes, we got second place trophy, but we tied for that championship. And it came mm. down last race, last 30 minutes, I was leading, then they were leading, then they won. And uh, crazy things. So, but through that, we had earned a ticket to Le Mans. And as well as the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which was the other series I was racing in, we finished second in that as well and earned a ticket there. So we got two tickets for the team. So in my head, I was like, well, this team always goes to Le Mans when they have a ticket, so the, they will be racing there. And I was their driver who helped them win, so I'm pretty sure I'll be there with them on the grid. Um, putting the business stuff aside, the, the year ends. I'm happy. I'm motivated. I can't wait for the following season. We get to 2021. Sorry, Dave. We've sold the two tickets to another team and they're going to use other drivers. And I was like, you can't, you can't be serious. You cannot be serious. <laughs> then out of nowhere. I just, hold on. I got to just, just yeah, pause yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to Lamar. I did, yes. I did what I had to do. I did I've what been, I had to do. I've been doing all this stuff for years and years and years. And then they sell the two, essentially Tickets. the invitation yeah. to, to another team. Yes. Because that's sometimes what happens. Sometimes the team who's won the invitation, this is the value of Lamar. You, you can sell that ticket. It's like wow. owning an expensive watch or car or something, a collectible, you know. So they decided to sell it for a premium because that was the best option to them at the time. Now that's how the cookie crumbles in motorsport, but I cannot deny that I was, I was actually, I was hurt because I was like, you know, sell the ticket, but make it a condition that they take me with them. And they didn't, you know? So I was, I was pretty hurt by that. Wow. Also, I had a long relationship with the team, but that's the way it, motorsport is also business, you know? So they obviously had to do a deal under certain circumstances and that was the deal that they did. All right. So that hurt any less though. That door, closes. that door closes. Yeah. Yeah. I get another call early 2021. Hey, Dave, do you want to race in the Asian Lamar series? Now, because of COVID, it actually didn't take part in Asia, it took part in Dubai. Doesn't matter. And in that series, the top three winners, uh, finishers in the championship get a ticket. So I was like, okay, we had a very good uh, driver lineup. We had a very good car. We had a very good team. And we went to race in Asia Lamar and we were fighting for the win of the championship until the final race. And it was just unfortunate. The strategy didn't play out and we finished third in the championship, but we still got this ticket. And now this time I'm like, this time I'm going to Lamar. Following Monday, get a call. Sorry, Dave, we can't take you. And then I was like, oh, now I'm like starting to lose faith. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time where I was like, okay, it's, it, I'd, I'd had hurdles in my career as a racing driver up to that point. You know, I'd had a lot of setbacks, a lot of challenges, but I always had this belief that I was going to get there. I always had this belief. I always had this like naivety to think, well, no matter what happens, I will find a way. But now I had done all the things that I needed to do in my mind to get to Lamar. And I was one step away from that finish line, if you will. And it got taken away twice in a row. Oh. And I was like, you know, I suppose it should stop now because I can't get there. 
I just don't know what else I can do. I don't know what's left on the table. To, Did that to, cross to your mind? There. Like, you know what? I'm done. Yes, I've got yes. this business. I'm walking away. Yeah. Enough and of I this. said, okay, well, maybe it, it was always meant to be this way. Maybe I was meant to build. I'm not necessarily believe in fate. I don't know, or destiny, or I, I don't have a clear philosophy on that. But I had this feeling like, okay, well, maybe it is meant to be this way. I, this business that I created was flying. Um, I had a great time in motorsport. Maybe my motorsport career was a springboard for the business. You know, maybe it's time to stop now uh, with the dream of getting to Lamar. Let me just become a businessman 100%. Um, and then um, I can't remember the date. I think it was March again. This was after the Asian Lamar series is finished and everything. And I was like dealing with the disappointment of again, getting a call saying it, it's not going to be you this time which I couldn't understand. I was like, but I helped you guys get that podium. I helped the previous team get the wins. I was the pro in the car that carried the car and they're not choosing me. I, I couldn't, despite knowing the industry, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. Um, out of nowhere, a third Ferrari team gives me a call in March. I was at a racetrack, actually. I was doing a test um, and I was doing the test having just received the news that I wasn't going to do Le Mans. So I think it was like 24 hours later, a little bit demotivated if I'm honest, trip. <laughs> a little deflated, I imagine. <laughs> a little bit deflated if I'm honest. Like, why am I even at this test? It was freezing cold. Actually, it was snowing. So the test was a useless test. Anyway, get a call. It's from a competitor team from the year prior, which I had competed against in the European Lamar series, which is effectively like, that's the one step before Lamar. You, the one step before Lamar is European Lamar. So if you do well there, a lot of all those teams are going to compete at Lamar. So they, they're kind of watching. So a rival team contacted me, Dave, what's your plans for this year? I said, to be honest, not much anymore. Um, they're like, do you want to do European Lamar series with us and Lamar? And now this rival team happens to be the factory Ferrari team, hmm. AF Corsa. And I said, <laughs> They said, it's not a definite, we need 24 hours, but you are first choice. Tell us if you want to do it. I was like, of course I want to do it. It's a, it's a yes right now. So they said, okay, we'll call you in 24 hours. And I thought to myself, yeah, I've heard this way too many times in my career. Your they're heart's already call. bruised. Like, how can you yeah. take another one? And I was like, it's not, they're not AF Corsa of all teams, which by the way, trip AF Corsa, I mailed every single January at the beginning of every single year from 2015. The, the owner is called Amato. Amato Ferrari, AF Corsa. Ciao, Amato. It's David Peril. I hope you're well. I just wanted to know if there's any opportunity for me to race for your team. Ciao, David. Hope you're well. We are okay. Every year. We are okay. He's Italian, English. Next thing they're calling me. Next thing out of nowhere, based on my performance from the previous year, they were impressed. A guy called Matt from the team calls me. And it's true as hell. 24 hours later, David, if it's still a yes, you're in the car. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. The, this is it now. Now the challenge became, don't get sick between now and Lamar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't get sick. We, we started to race together in the European Lamar series. We were immediately from this team, this particular lineup, the prior year was lucky to get a podium. Now we were default podium getting wins as well. Um, so I was doing the job that they brought me to do and they kept the, their promise. And I went to Lamar and I got to compete at Lamar. At what point did you really accept that you were at Le Mans? Was it, I, I, I'm in the car now? Because you've done so many races before where you're at the race, but the car wrecks, yeah. you don't even get to drive your stint. Yeah, so yeah. what was so that experience was, like? Le Mans, Le Mans starts um, the weekend before. You have to do an official test uh, on the Sunday, which is the weekend, the Sunday before the official race. And the drivers who haven't done the race before have to complete, I think it's 12 laps in the car that has been entered in order to get approval to do Lamar. So the first step is completing those 12 laps. And on the schedule, I was going to be the third driver to drive the car that day. So I was like, 
holy crap, like Matt can't crash the car and DC cannot crash the car because then I can't drive and get my 12 laps. So that was the first stress. Boom, we, we, we get over that hurdle. So that was Sunday, ticked. And then you wait two days, the longest two days of my life where you do nothing. So we went cycling and then Wednesday practice starts. Car cannot crash in practice. It cannot be written off. Get through Wednesday, get through Thursday. And then on Friday, nothing happens. You just wait. Then on Saturday, the race starts and I wasn't starting the race. I was driving second and it was started to rain at the start. So mm. it's like, Matt, please don't crash the car. <laughs> and eventually the car came in and I got in the car and I drove out the pits, released the pit speed and boom, I was a, finally a Lamar driver after trying my whole life, literally since I was 10 years old. You got a lot on your mind just trying to keep the, the car on the road when it's wet like that. But what was, what yeah. was going through your mind as, as you, as you did that first, that first lap? Oh, it was just, it, it was surreal from the moment I got there. My most, most of my emotions were actually from dry. I drove from England to France. I drove to the race uh, in my car and that drive, I was on my own. It's, I think it's a five or seven hour drive. It's a long drive. Um, I was very, very emotional. I was crying. I was reminiscing. I was thinking how impossible it felt when I've sent the first cold email to a Lamar team in 2015, all of those hurdles I, I reflected on and it was emotional. It was just crazy. Then when I was actually at the race, it was just surreal. By then I'd gotten over the emotions of like, it wasn't overwhelming. It was just like, it can't be real. Like this cannot be, am I actually here? I'm actually here. Okay. Look around. Okay. You're still here, you know? And then mm. when you're on the track, it's like, I know every single bump and curb from the simulators that I've driven and I've done a lot of virtual Lamar's in my life and the track felt the same. Hmm. Like what I experienced in a simulator was translating into real life. And I was instantly on the pace. There was no learning laps or anything. I started, I ended the Sunday official test as the fastest car, fastest driver. And on, on your, your first time on the track. First and time. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but that came all from experience from doing the simulator stuff, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it was just trip. It was unbelievable. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy for you. I was yeah. tuning in and just like, okay, he got his stint, you know, and it was yeah, just I like, cause I knew that that was really the win getting, mm. getting a podium, whatever was a whole other too much thing, out of your control. Yeah. Too, too much, much out of your control. But, yeah. uh, no, just knowing how motorsport can go either way, yeah. any kind of, any kind of second there, but I was just really, really happy yeah. for you to get that experience yeah. knowing, you know, after we talked about it last time. So yeah. And then and how's your nervous system through all of this? Like, cause yeah, you could have, you could have had a, you know, a positive COVID test that morning oh, and yeah, then yeah. <laughs> not gotten in the car. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you just, you, I mean, you just stay safe. Essentially just, I wore masks all the time, social distancing. I was being responsible as possible, um, mm -hmm. which is not easy in a racetrack by the way, because it's filled with people, mechanics right. and team members and managers and drivers. We're all coming from different countries all the time. Um, you're on flights all the time. Like for me, COVID was just a very, my experience of COVID was a very, very compressed racing season because <laughs> I still traveled, you know, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't, I did have that three months of isolation where I built coach Dave and, and Simgrid, but the rest was like normal life for me. I was just empty airports. That was weird. Very yeah. strange. Uh, but yeah, you just, you know, I was ticking every single box. I don't want to get food, food poisoning for some reason or anything like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just a relief when I released the pit speed. And I was like, okay, I'm a Lamar driver now. It was like, and the high, the high that I had the week, the week later from achieving my life stream, it was immense, immense. Just, well, let's talk about that a bit because sometimes there yeah. can be this, like, now what, you know? And, Which there and, was the, the following the following week. Yeah. So there was the high and wow, this is here. And then, yeah, then it's back to Reality. life and you're running your, your business. <laughs> yeah. And, the, but also like, yeah, I'm curious what that was like. Cause for a lot of us, it's like, well, now what I've, this was the thing for so this long. This was the thing. Yeah. What was I it was like? prepared. I was prepared. I knew, um, once Lamar was effectively confirmed, I was like, okay, you need to come to terms with the fact that it could be 
that after this, you're no longer interested in being a racing driver. So I very, very seriously considered retiring at the end of last year um, because I'd, I'd gone to be, to race for Ferrari. I'd gone to become a professional driver and race at Le Mans. And I'd achieved those three things. Um, and I was like, but what happens when you get through that? Like, will you still have the motivation? Um, and I told the teams that wanted me to race for this year. I said, they said, you know, what's your plans? You want to race with us? I said, to be honest, I may actually retire. Um, so I was open about it and discussed it with everybody. I wasn't being secretive or, or so on. And it eventually came that I do still have the motivation. Um, I'm doing less races this year and I'm doing Le Mans again because in the European Le Mans series in last, during last season, we did enough to uh, win another ticket. So I got another ticket with AF Corsa. There's a lot of certainty about doing this year. Uh, and you, does it mean you really have a seat? I'm like, I'm so afraid. Yeah, like, I'm no, confirmed. No. Yeah, I have a seat. I have a seat. Okay. Uh, and everything is confirmed, but who knows what life will, you know, there's now a war in Europe. So right. Right. that could be the next hurdle for all of us to overcome. But mm -hmm. from a practical point of view, I will be at Le Mans again. Um, so Let's that come back to this motivation piece because, yeah, yeah what is that? You, you allowed yourself to sit in that uncertainty. What was that process and how did you know yeah. you were still motivated? So I allowed myself um, to be open to the idea of ending and I accepted that as a reality. And then I reversed from that point. So a lot of people are unable to stop because they've never considered what that means to stop. I, I had been like, okay, we're stopping. We've done all the things we need to do. There's, you can't be greedy and you definitely can't out-achieve what other drivers have done, for example, in my case. There's always going to be someone with a better, bigger record than you. So don't go for that. Go for what you want. I wanted to know, like truly, I wanted to know what it was like to stand in pit lane at night at Lamar. A car comes in, I get in that car and drive out. That's what I, I wanted to know what that feeling was. And the feeling was incredible. It wasn't like my other races. I've done plenty of 24-hour races, but not, you know, that one. So mm -hmm. if you set out to go and win Le Mans, that's a different thing. I hadn't achieved that, but I'd gone out to experience Le Mans and I'd achieved that. Okay. So now let's stop. Let's, let's go on to what, what's the new challenge in your life. Okay, well, you have this, this young business. It's not an easy business to build into something huge. That's going to be an immense challenge. That's enough of, of a challenge to chew on. Maybe you can do that for a bit. So then I came to those terms. That was the thing. I was like, okay, well, this thing ends, the new thing starts. But a lot of people said to me, but David, you don't have to do one or the other. You can minimize your racing and still do, build, do the business building, but enjoy your racing. So I took that approach and started to explore how I felt about that. Can I can I do that? You know, I don't have to race every weekend. I've known about that, that about myself my whole life. I have never driven for the sake of driving. I can't just go to a, a track and just go around in circles. I have to compete. Mm. Um, and of course I offered me an opportunity to do European Lamar, which is only six races and Lamar, which is the seventh race. So I only have to do seven races this year and I can still enjoy building my business, which is huge amount of pleasure for me. I've, I've, I love building product. I love it to death. Um, and I obviously also love racing. So now I've, I was able to realize and recognize that there doesn't have to be an, a, a definitive ending in this scenario. Um, and I'm privileged enough and lucky enough that I've built a, a reputation in a career where I can sort of mix both. Yeah. You can um, leverage and that's that. where we are. But, I like that you were able yeah. to come back to what do I want instead of yeah, a lot of us kind of buy into a rigidity. There's a rigidity, like it has to be this way. And I heard that in there, like, well, if I'm going to be a pro, then it means I do X, a ton of races and I got to be available every weekend, or I only do this. And it sounds like there's a, we have to challenge ourselves to get a little bit more creative about how we approach things. And it might not look like, it might not be an option on the menu necessarily. We have yeah. to be a, a bit more bold and say, you know, this is, this would really work for me only seven races. And then I still focus on the business. Yeah. And, and, if I become better at running a business, I can become better at managing my time and be more free with my time. 
So these are all things which open up challenges to me as well to be better at the things that I'm doing. But, you know, I'm not uh, implying by any stretch that I'm aiming for a work-life balance. That's not at all what I'm, I'm implying. I, racing is a lot of work. It, it's a pleasurable experience, but um, oftentimes you actually forget what a race, what happened in a race because the intensity of having to perform is so, so high. The stress is so high that it's almost like a trauma that your brain tries to forget. Otherwise you wouldn't go back. So not all races I do are pleasurable, but there's an addiction to the competition and I, I, I perform well in racing. So I, I go back to that. I've discovered that same addiction to competition in business as well. I've, I've found something where I, I'm like, Oh, this is similar to racing. You know, um, I can compete here. And, and uh, tell me a little bit about that. How, how have you, yeah. I, again, I liked where we, we leverage a skill or an advantage that we have or a trait that we have in one area and, and transfer it over. A lot of times we, we, we're unable to see how we can do those things. So how have you, how have you found competition in, in the business? Um, it's come from this desire to be the best, honestly speaking, uh, and looking at what my competitors are doing and hearing who they speak to and then immediately going, well, no, I, it should be me doing that. So how do I build that? Or what relationship do I need to develop to achieve that? Um, so, okay, I'm not behind a steering wheel turning a wheel, but I'm guiding a, a ship, which is our, our business uh, strategically and um, being motivated by what my competitors are doing and trying to beat them has been a, a revelation for me, a huge motivating factor for me because it's no longer just, I'm building something so I can sell it, so I can make money. It's like, there's an element here which I can win at. Um, and it's my own definition of winning. In business, there isn't a finish line. There was always a big challenge for me when doing business was in the racing world, there's a stopwatch. I'm defined by that stopwatch. I'm defined, my performance is defined by where I cross the finish line at the end of the race. Um, so I've set up those definitions for myself in the business world now, which I hold myself to. Because you can also set up definitions which you don't hold yourself to, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that, the, the, what you mean by define, because I think as, as a professional competitor, we have to learn how to deal with loss on a regular basis. And especially mm. in motorsport, there's just so many things that are outside of your control. Oh, yeah. You might lose a race without even getting behind the wheel uh, because your, uh, your teammate crashes the car. Yeah. So how do you deal with loss? And I think because most of us, if we lose, it is a personal thing. It, it yes. is very personal that it affects our self-worth. It affects the self-image we have about ourselves. So when you talk about loss, what does loss mean for you, either even if it's just with, with business, uh, much less on the, on, the, on the track? What I've realized in my life, because you, you lose more in motorsport, in sports, more than you win, um, is that there's still a tomorrow, quite literally, as cliched as that may sound, and as long as we keep trying, it's not over. A loss is not the end. It's just, it's just a loss. It's, it's a data point. In, in motorsport, there's often reasons that you can look into if you analyze yourself, why did you lose a race? Why were you slower? And it can get very, very, very granular. You know, it could be, I actually don't want to geek out too much on racing, but it can be something linked to your technique and so on or decision that you made. Um, and in, in, in business, it can be something that you lost out on in a negotiation, the decisions that you made in that negotiation, but that's cool. Okay. We lost that one. That's okay. Why did we lose it? Well, you didn't offer enough or you weren't quick enough to think of that new angle. Okay. Let's practice that. You know, how do we simulate that? Okay. Well, let's get around a table with my staff and have a mock negotiation or call a friend who's a business person and have a negotiation with them and, and try something new and then try it for the next deal and, and so on. I'm, I'm oversimplifying yeah. yeah. Um, but the cool thing in, in business is that because they, there's such a lot, it's a much longer period of time for things to play out that a, a loss net doesn't necessarily kill your momentum like an engine failure would in a race, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I, I've always had that perspective of what it means to, to lose a race, which is like that, you know, whereas in business of a bad decision that you do in five minutes, it doesn't necessarily cost you your whole business most of the time. Of course, mm -hmm. there's extreme situations, but it's, 
things happen a little bit slower. So you can react slower, you can lose slower, you can win slower. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you don't let it affect you personally, but is it more that it does affect you personally and then you get back up off the mat and get yeah, into the yeah. in the room and talk about it? Like, how, what is it like it when does. you take a loss and, and for you I, personally? I took, a, I took a loss recently in business. Um, so I don't know, Trip. how much more time do we have? I'm, 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 I'm clear if you are. Okay, it's cool. I'm you. clear as well. So uh, I used the money that we made from Coach Dave to build another product called SimGrid. SimGrid is a social network for sim races. And it, didn't ex- it hasn't existed before. And man, this thing took off like a rocket ship. But the, I had a hurdle. Uh, I wasn't doing any of the development. And I'd outsourced it to guys who have, were um, very skilled at building big platforms. And the platform, the technology and stuff that they used um, was more suited to big teams instead of small, nimble teams. So feature development got slowed down. My fault, by the way, this isn't their fault. This is my fault. It was at the end of the day, I'm head of product. And as things started to get slowed down on the feature release side and we couldn't execute on the full vision, there was another company in Germany, a a, a company. There was a, a guy in Germany, a developer, who had mimicked our our idea and was building the thing that I'd always wanted to build. And all of our users on our daily racing platform eventually migrated over to his platform. And now they are the biggest player in that feature set. And it hurt that I'd lost that race because I brought this idea into the sim racing world to begin with. I'd seen what other platforms were doing, other esports and other video game platforms were doing recognized this gap in our industry and built that thing and people loved it and people used it. And I still lost. And it hurts me personally, because I thought that I was better at building product than that. Um, Mm. But I didn't have my hands on the wheel. I had delegated in this case, this is an interesting one. I delegated way too much away, Mm. you know, and I didn't manage enough. And at the end of the day, they now have the bigger platform in daily racing. And I had two choices. And this is very recent trip. This is two days ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had two choices. I could have reinvested and tried to outcompete them and spent a ton of money trying to reacquire all those users who we'd lost to them. Um, and I've seen this happen so many times in the tech world. You don't win that race, you know. So I waved the white flag and I contacted Low Fuel Motorsport and I said, hey guys, um, you've done an amazing job. And I was completely honest. I said, um, I wanted to do what you guys did. You guys beat me to it. Can, is there a way that we can collaborate? And he was open to it. He said, yes. So you turn so a competitor we, into it. You, you try yeah. to turn a competitor into a collaborator. Yes, correct. Okay. In the end, that was the right move. I waved the white flag. It hurt, but I waved the white flag, contacted LFM. And he was like ecstatic to work with us. Hmm. And what was so your was thinking going in? Like he's going to like, cause I always love these assumptions yeah. going in. Like I right? thought he wasn't even going to want to talk to me. I thought he was <laughs> going to laugh at me. I thought he was going to say, ah, oh, sorry. Like I, you know, I don't see how this could work. Um, I was expecting the worst. I was so nervous for that meeting trip. I was so nervous. Um, and in the end, he was like excited to speak to me. So I was, you know, kudos to him, man. His name's Boris. Boris, you're a legend. Mm. You know, it takes openness on both sides to be able to do a collaboration like we're doing now. Well, you had to get Um, over yourself, right? That part admitting that, all right, this didn't work out. So let's move on. Let's move to the next phase. There's a temptation when, when someone beats you like this to go nuclear, you know, be like, you know what? I'm going to try beat you twice as hard, but it, it, it's not always necessary. You, you know, those, those, those two mindsets, I'm going to go nuclear. This is personal, right? To me, that's the small personal, game yeah. Yeah, where I don't yeah. really care about the long view and, or anything. It's, it's just yeah. about me. I got to yes, prove that I didn't my lose. ego. I'm going yes. to tear down everything here. If, yes. <laughs> and the big and game the, is, wait, what's best for all? How can community. we all benefit? Yeah. yeah. And, and playing, you know, I want to be in this game for a long time. Yeah. But it was for me a personally a revelation because as I mentioned in my twenties, I tried to do everything myself mm-hmm. with my brother mm-hmm. and slowly, but surely as I've kind of let go of the reins a bit and understood the power of other people, 
it just took me a long time to recognize it. Um, I've started to recognize you can actually do more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think so. in any organization, there's, there's three levels, right? I noticed this when I coach folks, which is we can be the visionary, we can be this manager, and then we can be this technician. And it sounds like there's some wonderful technicians that can bring a product to the world, but if they don't have the vision to see how it fits in and do yeah. these things, uh, it'll ultimately fail. And I think what you're describing here is you're maturing in your ability to yeah. be a visionary and understand how things work in big pieces for long I'm, periods of time yeah. within the space. It's not easy for me, but I'm, I'm trying my best and I fail more times than, I, than not. I'm trying my best to put my ego aside when it comes to product development. That's always been a major thing for me. So got to go deep for that stuff. But, yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's I think personal it's, development. It's, you know. Yeah. Well, it is huge. It's huge values development. When you start to see that what we're bumping up against in our own process is this small insecure part. Do we really want to have yeah. that one directing our life? You know, it shows yeah. up in everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Right. Relationships too. So, yeah. yeah. With this, comp this competitive part of you, was it nurtured uh, or was it just, you've always been this highly competitive kid? Like where did that come from? Turns out, yeah. Um, it didn't come from my folks cause my folks weren't, um, my folks didn't push me in any direction except to finish school, which I, I scraped by, um, <laughs> to be honest with you thinking now, like I wish I had this competitive element in trying to get a high score in school. Cause that would have been very beneficial. But anyway, mm -hmm. no, uh, it came from video games actually trip. Um, when I played a video game, I wanted to win. And if I won the game, I wanted to score the highest in the world at that game. Um, when I was 20 ish years old, 1920, I built a website for the sole purpose of finding out if I was the fastest driver in Gran Turismo. It was called GT playground. You add, everybody could add their lap times to it. They uploaded the car replay to see how that the car did the lap time. And I did that with the sole purpose of seeing if I was the best. So there was this competitive nature in me from day one to try to be the best in the world at anything. So when I did karting, I wanted to be the world champion, which meant I had to get to the world championship. When I did this Gran Turismo thing, I wanted to be the best in the world at that thing. So I built a website to find out if I was the best in the world at it. Um, and so on and so forth. So it's part uh, of your essence. It's part of who you are. With you yes, but I'm trying around. to tone it down. I'm trying to tone it down because there, there's a lot of people who are much better at me in the world at all of these things. And there was a period in my life where I couldn't accept that. Mm. So you have to get over that. Okay. You're not the best. In, I'm definitely not the best driver in the world. I'm not the best product developer in the world. I'm not the best sim racer in the world, but that's also okay. You know, um, maybe I can be the best at linking those three things together. But if you're not the best in the world at a thing you're trying to be the best in the world at, don't worry. That's fine. Like, did you, did you apply your maximum <laughs> though, to that like, thing? Don't worry. <laughs> no, it, it really fine. is fine for me now. Yeah. It never used to be. I'd say like four years ago, I didn't have a good time with it. I never yeah. forgave myself um, for the karting world championships. I finished sixth, but I was fighting for the lead and I never won it. Um, and I was so angry from the age of 23 when I lost that till I think 33, I was furious with myself. I did not, I couldn't forgive myself for losing that world championship. Mm. Um, and then when I was around 33 years old, I went to the world championship uh, again, just to watch as a spectator. And I saw drivers who I had competed against when I was 23, still trying to win that thing. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's not that bad. You know, you did well. You did okay. Mm -hmm. They were they weren't they were still weren't even finished in the top ten. So I came to this acceptance of you don't have to win everything you touch. You know? Okay. All uh, right. I have a question, just in terms of motorsport competition, because I have yeah. seen this behavior where, and I wonder how this fits in. You know, I was at VIR for the IMSA race this last summer, awesome. and I watched I watched Kevin Esther. There are only three entries in the the GTLM class. Yeah. And I'm watching Kevin Estra essentially almost take his car out of the entire race, trying to beat the Corvettes. And Kevin Estra is a madman. He's a madman. And then <laughs> even this last Daytona, watching the last lap, the last two laps, the Porsches battling and almost taking themselves. You know, was it Lawrence Van Thor? Was that was that who it Van was? Thor and 
I forgot the guy who won. <laughs> okay, so they're going through the bus stop and he two Porsches. He, two Porsches yeah. and he ends up losing the spot to the Ferrari, but it could have been a lot more. Yes. What's going on there where it willing to put it all on the line for one more slot, one more one more place finish? What's happening? I mean, does he get scolded or the team, you know, owner's right. like, yeah, go for it? Like where where does that yeah. fit in? In those moments where the driver is risking it all to try and achieve greatness in that particular race, you know, winning Daytona is a big one, um, for example, or even winning an IMSA race, it's a big one. Um, in those moments, the team is 100% behind you to do whatever it takes to try and win. And if you fail, well, you failed anyway, because you were going to finish second if you didn't try because especially like a Daytona, Daytona is, it's a one-off. It's like Lamar, it's like a Spa. If you lose every other race, if you crash in every other race, but you win Lamar, Spa, Daytona, your, your year is made. Nothing else matters. So the stakes are, are very high. You, you're willing to put everything on the line for so that So it's not one. like the points matter and, you know, is it yeah. like, well, at least keep the third, the second place points. Why no. would you risk it? <laughs> so in that case, because it's a one-off, um, forget the rest. Even if you, Daytona is part of the North American endurance championship. So if you finish second in all of the big endurance championships, I think it's Daytona, Sebring, Road Atlanta, which is Petit Le Mans, or Road America, Petit Le Mans, and I forgot this fourth one. If you finish second in all of them and you become the North American endurance champion, but you didn't win any of those races, no one's going to remember you, but they will remember the Daytona winner, the Sebring winner, the Road America winner, Petit Le Mans. So in, in yeah, the prototypes did a sent, they sent it in the last corner. Uh, yes. at, it's beautiful. At, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. It's, and that in those rare moments where everything's on the line and you don't have to think percentages like you do in a championship, that's pure racing. What you mm-hmm. saw at Daytona was pure racing. The guys went for it. They banged doors, which in sim racing is like, oh, I can't do that. But in, in real racing, it's, it's fine if the stakes are high enough. And someone like Kevin Estra, well, I mean, there are laps around the Nordschleife, around Nürburgring, where you, I, I know other pro drivers who watch it and go, no, I can't do that. He's got I a kid. Can't. Yeah. He, he puts, he truly puts it all on the line. Um, and I don't, I don't have that. I know I don't have that. I've, se- I've witnessed it myself. I've seen myself, my body has the survival limit <laughs> where I, I can't go to that extra edge which these guys are able to go to, which helped me recognize I wasn't the best in the world at driving, for example. You know, I can't do what Kevin Estra can do. Um, no matter how hard I tell myself in the car, <laughs> come on, just send it. Something in my body like will break earlier or just get on the throttle a bit, bit later to save myself from crashing or risking a crash. Um, and, you know, someone like Kevin and Van Tour, they, they got it. They got it. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I was just wondering, it's like, all right, we're going to bring him on. He's a factory driver and we're just yeah. going to, he means we're going to have to build more cars because he's. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> and the, the factory drivers, when, when I talk about a crash, it's like humiliation. Like, oh, I can't believe I crashed. When they talk about a crash, it's funny. It's like, oh yeah. Because their job is to go out and win, um, which I've never understood as well. Like, you know, especially in the percentage game championship ones, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, it's been great <laughs> to catch up. It's been, you know, since we last connected, I've been watching this process. I've been super curious about what it's been like for you as you've, you know, had essentially been juggling all this stuff and, you know, in the midst of all the crazy things that's been happening too. So yeah, appreciate you Thanks, taking Tom. I appreciate it. It's yeah. been a crazy journey and um, I really appreciate you keeping in touch and everything and having me on the pod again. It's, it's awesome. I enjoy sharing these stories. So thank you. Beautiful. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.